The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw yet another quiet day in the market trade overall across grains and livestock with little fresh news to really drive the markets. And we just kind of drifted on Tuesday. Welcome to Market Talk. Thank you for joining us here on the program today. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Happy to be here as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. Coming up here on today's program, we got the latest consumer price index data out on Tuesday morning. The CPI a little bit hotter than expected by analysts. We're going to discuss the impact of that and talk about the really the lack of news, it seems, in the grain and livestock markets here this week as things just kind of drift and churn around with low volume and low volatility. But maybe that gives us an opportunity to try and shore up our marketing plans. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. He is our guest analyst. He's going to join us coming up here starting in segment two today and provide his insight and perspective on what we are seeing in the market trade here overall. Again, I think Jim's going to have some really good thoughts uh, with this environment where things are a little less volatile at the moment. China on holiday this week. South America is on holiday. So that takes some of the volume out of this market. Might give us an opportunity to get some orders working and more. So we're going to talk to Jim about that coming up here starting in segment two today and uh, look forward to a great conversation with him. Also, we're going to take a look at some news headlines here later in the show. The USDA releasing uh, the census of ag data for 2022. We're going to talk about that and a few other news headlines coming up here later on in the program. Again, uh, outside of the CPI data that came out on Tuesday, there wasn't much else to really drive these markets one way or another. It just was kind of a quiet day once again overall, uh, but we see those CPI numbers, the Headline consumer price index, that rose 0.3% month-on-month in January, matching the previous month's level, but coming in above analyst expectations, it would slip to 0.2% growth. Headline CPI was up 3.1% year-on-year. Core CPI, excluding the more volatile food and energy prices, that rose 0.4% month-on-month as well. We talk about that. And also get some thoughts on commodity deflation as a whole and a look at what's moving in the livestock trade here on Tuesday's session. We talked with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. He joined us around midday on Tuesday, gave us his thoughts in the market trade. And again, we started the conversation with the CPI data because that really seemed to have an impact on the stock market down sharply Tuesday. The dollar moved higher to create some headwinds. And so uh, we talked with Arlen about that and got his perspective on the Consumer Price Index inflation data out Tuesday morning. And more, here is Arlen Suderman with StoneX. Yeah, when you really look at the numbers, you think, oh, what's the big deal? But the big deal is they're going in the wrong direction. We've been anticipating a resurgence of inflation. Didn't expect it, though, until the second quarter of this year. And last month's came in hotter than expected. And I thought, well, it'll probably pull back this month. 
and then get hotter later and we get into the second quarter. But no, it's hotter again. Three-tenths of a percent month-on-month for a headline consumer price index um, when the trade was expecting it to slow back down to two-tenths percent growth. When you look at the year-on-year at 3.1%, down from 3.4% the previous month, but that's ahead of what the trade was expecting at 3%. But what that doesn't show is that energy prices during January were heading down and the the core of inflation that excludes food and energy was going up. So when you remove energy and food prices, then the core CPI was up four-tenths of a percent month on month, which is an increasing pace of inflation and up 3.9% year on year, matching the previous month and above what the trade had thought at 3.7%. Big increases in costs, for transportation, for shelter or housing type of things. Um, And so we continue to see uh, sticky inflation get a little hotter in that area. And I mentioned energy prices down during the month, but in February thus far, energy prices are going up. So what does that mean when we get next month's numbers, perhaps even hotter inflation going forward? Well, in general, uh, I mentioned grains and livestock relatively quiet on Tuesday. It seems like you and I have been talking about commodity deflation uh, quite a bit here, and that seems to be the continuing theme with a lack of fresh news in these markets right now. It does. And the primary support, and we've seen some positive numbers from time to time, the primary support is that the speculative funds have such massive short or sold positions in these markets, and we're down at these price levels where the market's getting nervous because we have geopolitical risks in a couple of places, in particular in the Red Sea and in the Black Sea. What if something happens in one of those areas to cause those funds to exit those short positions all at one point? That's the primary support factor. Fundamentally, otherwise, from a supply and demand standpoint, there's not a lot to sustain a rally when the farmer is undersold, both in America, uh, United States, as well as in Brazil and in Argentina. Uh, But that's kind of limiting the losses at this point. The strong dollar you mentioned earlier creating some headwinds and also contributing some of the weakness that we're seeing. In the livestock trade, too, real quick, uh, it feels like cash cattle trade, it's probably going to be later in the week. I know Packers had to pay up last week, and they're probably going to try not to pay up as much this week, it would seem. Overall, just feels like a very quiet uh, trade in cattle country right now, and hogs at a very narrow range here today as well, Arlen. Yeah, we're slowing the chain speeds down for the cattle. The packer margins are facing a lot of compression right now. And so we have at least two packers that are slowing the chain speeds. Um, and uh, thus, the lower demand for cattle overall this week's slaughter is expected to be around 610,000, down from 622 last week and 637,000 two weeks ago. And uh, that's adding a little bit of pressure at these levels, but we're getting support from the fact that the, the product demand still seems to be there. We still have a tight supply of cattle overall. We've been pricing that into the feeder cattle market, although feeder cattle market is consolidating today and uh, taking a rest after some recent sharp gains. And once again, good stuff there with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, joining us for our midday commentary on the day Tuesday, looking at the uh, latest uh, CPI data and more. And again, 
Uh, kind of a tough uh, day in the stock market because of that CPI data being a little hotter than expected on the day on Tuesday. Meantime, just a lack of really fresh news in the grains that kind of let us drift a little bit as we kind of had two-sided action in the grain trade. South American weather largely remains uh, pretty benign right now with uh, not a whole lot uh, happening there. Things looking pretty good. We're going to see better rains move back in here later on uh, into this weekend in Brazil, it looks like, and that's going to uh, be just bearish uh, to the markets, it feels like, overall once again. So just not a lot uh, moving in the market trade to really uh, feed the bull for sure. And if anything, we're adding a little more bearishness into the markets as we uh, work through this middle part of February. We're going to dive in and talk more about that and get some thoughts on how we're managing our risk in this environment, especially with some lower volume and lower volatility this week. I think that's going to be a big key. We're going to talk about that and more with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. He is our guest analyst today on Market Talk, and we're going to get to a conversation with him coming up on the other side of the break. Back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after this. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, again, as we look across the grain and livestock trade on the day Tuesday, kind of just drifted around. Corn didn't move much from unchanged on the session. Soybeans, wheat lost a little ground as we went through the day. Livestock trade kind of chopped around mixed. Overall, things just relatively uh, quiet across the trade. Let's talk about it. Joining us now for a conversation as we look at the markets, Jim McCormick with agmarket.net and Jim Always good to uh, catch up with you, sir. Thanks for joining us here on the program. Appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Hope you recovered from Nashville last week, Jim. We are recovered from Nashville. It was great to see you down there at our conference. I know a lot of our clients were very excited to meet you. Uh, a lot of exciting topics uh, to talk about here. I mean, in the macro picture, but uh, yeah, you know, dialing down to where we are right now, the weather here in northern Illinois, I tell you what, you kind of got a little bit of spring fever. It's uh, it's very mild. I think there's a little bit of snow in the, snow in the air possibly this weekend, but uh, we're above normal temperatures. I think I, I said on the local news, Jesse, we're on the warmest starts of February on record, and it just kind of gives you that feeling that uh, spring is going to be early. I had a client in Indiana, central Indiana, I was talking to the other day, was talking about the robins in his backyard already. And, uh, oh, man. you know, you just you get those robins moving north. You're like, man, we're, we're getting close. Now, granted, it's only it's only February, but uh, I know people are kind of itching to, you know, get this spring planting going. Well, I'm thinking of spring planting. I know we're going to get some uh, key data here this week. The USDA Outlook Forum is coming up, and I, I want to talk about that as part of our discussion here today as well. Uh, first, though, I think headline, let's get this out of the way from Tuesday. I think the biggest news item in the overall 
commodity stock market sector was the CPI data, the headline CPI, consumer price index. Uh, those numbers came in a little hotter than expected. I know it put weight on the stock market on Tuesday. The dollar went higher, creating some headwind for commodities, I think. Uh, overall, just your general thoughts on that CPI data we saw, Jim. Well, I believe they're looking for a 0.2. They got a 0.3. It wasn't a drastic miss, but it was a miss. And the reality is, Jesse, what it shows us is the Fed has more work to do, um, you know, to slay this inflation dragon or to put the inflation genie back in the bottle. Uh, they, you know, they're going to have to, you know, probably they're not going to raise rates, but they're not going to cut it anytime soon. I think back in December, there was a lot of people that go, wow, we're going to cut rates I mean, I think the estimates are 70, 85% chance that they were going to cut rates in March. And then it fell to around 50% before this number came out. After this number came out, I think it's less than 20% chance. So, you know, it shows us we've got work to do. Um, and what the reaction is so negative, the stock market had priced in these cuts. So the stock market, as we speak, is just getting hammered pretty hard. Although it's had one heck of a run. I think the S&P's... Mm -hmm up 20%. I think it's been up something out of 12 out of the last 13 weeks, I believe. It is It is technically oversold. I saw one stat, though, interesting enough, Jesse, on the stock market specifically, it says, interesting enough, in presidential years, election years like we're in right now, the next six weeks has a historical bias to actually sell off in the stock market and then work its way back up later in the year. And I guess it makes sense when you think about it. Lots of times we're going through, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the primaries, maybe during the primaries, the market's a little bit worried about what's going to play out. But uh, there is a little bit of weakness bias. I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of a correction after the run up. But the other negative impact on commodities with that number was the dollar. If the dollar, if, if the Fed's cutting interest rates, folks, you're essentially going to drive down the, you know, you're going to drive down the demand for U.S. dollars. But on the other hand, if they're not going to cut interest rates, the fear is the or the belief is the dollar is either going to come in or stay here. And the dollar surged to three months high today. And that that just didn't help a bulk of the commodities today. We're already struggling to be price competitive on a lot of the grains. You push in a higher dollar, it just makes it that much more tough to find buyers of our products. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel like, Jim, we're, we're kind of seeing uh, tied in with this whole inflation story that we continue to watch. And I know we got more economic data out this week, but I feel like we're getting in this window where we're seeing a little more commodity deflation, so to speak. It just feels like these markets are there's nothing bullish to help out the grains and oil seeds specifically. And so it just it feels like that's part of why we're we're kind of churning around here with a lot of bearishness in the grains overall, right, Jim? You're right. I mean, especially in the grains. Now, the, the livestock will dive into a little bit better. They're a little bit different story. But the grains right now, you know, specifically, we're dealing with two separate problems. The first one is supply. We had a very big crop, a lot bigger than a lot of people thought it would be this summer based on the weather. So we had a very good supply. South America overall is going to have a pretty big supply, supply. And then we're just not getting the demand. The higher dollars hurting us. Uh, China is cutting economic deals with Argentina on the wheat structure recently to buy Argentina wheat. A year ago, they started buying Brazilian corn. And so it's, it's just the market right now has got too much of a product. It's grinding lower as it's trying to find demand. And the question is, where will that demand kick in? And uh, hopefully it's sooner than later. But, you know, right now, as you're obviously seeing what's going on, we're not racing higher. We're not getting those big flash sales which tells me we're still not price competitive, unfortunately.
Well, I know too, and uh, you mentioned this to me before we went on the air. Uh, we got a couple things we're watching this week. Yeah, I brought this up earlier, the USDA Outlook Forum numbers, but also China's on holiday this week. South America's on holiday this week. I feel like that has taken a lot of volume out of the grain markets here uh, the first half of this week, Jim. And then you mentioned this thought to me with the USDA outlook for maybe U.S. traders are kind of taking a break here, waiting to see what those numbers say later on this week. So I just feel like there's all those things together is taking a lot of volume out of the grains here at the start of the week, Jim. You nailed it. The volume is very, very light. Uh, we do have these numbers coming out. These are folks are asking what we're talking about. It's an outlook meeting the USDA puts out every year. And what it is, it's their first projection, folks, of the year. It's kind of the first guesstimate, really, of acreage. They use trend line yields, their best guesstimate of what demand's going to be. And everyone's going to kind of wait and see. Like I said, this is not an official WASD estimate. It is just kind of a call it a crib note sheet, a kind of a beginning note. But in general, what we're looking for is uh, less corn acres. Uh, you know, the economics suggests the plant beans. We are going to see less corn acres. But even with less corn acres, Jesse, you take a three or four million acres off this corn crop, let's say you plant 91, 91 and a half million acres of corn, and we manage to have a trend yield near 180, you're going to be looking at a total supply over 15 billion bushels. Now, total demand this year is 14.5. So that's why the corn market's struggling, I think, at the moment, thinking, hey, you know, if we have a 500 million bushel increase in supply over the current demand. How are we going to increase our demand by 500 million bushels? And it's going to struggle to do that, which means we're going to build our carry out. And I think that's part of the reason why the corn market's struggling. The bean market, we're going to see probably a little of probably we're going to lose corn acres. We think some acres will go to cotton. Maybe some acres will go to spring wheat, but a bulk of those corn acres are probably going to go to beans. Now, if you plug that bean number in and throw in the trend line yield, it all comes down to how quick are these new renewable diesel plants coming online. If you're an optimist and you think these plants are going to get up running fast and furious, then you can keep that balance sheet somewhat intact and not look too bearish. But if there's a problem getting these plants up and running, finishing the product, getting labor to cover the plants, because we know there is a shortage of labor in rural America, that could delay the opening of those plants or getting them up to full speed. And if that's the case, we could see the bean carryout grow as well. We just don't know. I mean, but like I said, we're going to get government's first view, our first opinion of it here at the end of the week. And I think that has definitely traders saying, you know what, with the South Americans enjoying a carnival, the Chinese on their, uh, you know, their New Year's holiday, I'm just going to sit with my hands in my pocket and uh, wait and see what the government says and maybe trade off of that as we wrap up the month of February next week. Do we wonder with those outlook form numbers real quick uh, that it could have a, a bigger impact in the market potentially with a, a lack of really other fresh news out there this weekend with China and South America on holiday? Do you think that these outlook form numbers could yield a, a little more weight potentially this week, Jim? It could because the market is, is right now the market is searching for some new data to trade. I mean, we're relatively starved with data. I mean, the one number that we all like, everyone, it's not just the ag market team. I think every trader out there is looking at that position by the funds. I'm sure you've talked about in the different shows you host. I mean, when you look at that corn and bean position combined, I think it's the second shortest we've ever been. The only yep. time it was shorter, I think, was in 2019, roughly in the April-May timeframe. So the funds are carrying this historically short position. So, you know, the real question is, are they going to keep piling into that? Or are they going to say this trade is way oversold? There's way too many people in it. And I think a lot of people are looking for maybe something 
that maybe will ignite the reversal of all those funds to at least get out a por portion, a portion, if not a good chunk of that trade. And then, you know, we'll see. Maybe, just maybe, if we're lucky, maybe we'll get some friendly response to the report. I mean, it could be a bearish report on Friday or a bearish number, and the market doesn't react bearishly. Maybe that's enough to get the funds to go, you know what? We've pushed it hard enough near term. We'll lighten up and we'll get that rally that so many producers out there are looking for to move grain. Well, once again, we're talking with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net here today on Market Talk. And we're going to keep Jim for segment three. We're going to talk more about risk management. We're going to get into the livestock trade as well. All that and more is coming up on the way after this as we'll be back with more here on Market Talk with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net on the way right after this. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation, this is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today on Market Talk with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Jim, I'd love your thoughts on this. Let's head down this rabbit hole real quick. Um, thinking about these markets, lower volume, lower volatility this week with uh, with everything going on. Obviously, these prices not what a lot of producers want to see, and we're still churning around. You know, March contract lows in corn, for instance, soybeans are twelve or below on the board. I, I mean, not. Not the greatest prices considering where we were last year, but I know a lot of farmers, I've heard it's all over the board. Some folks sold a lot of grain. Some folks still have a lot of grain in the bin. So talk to me about risk management. I mean, is this a good week to try and go over your marketing plan when there's a lot of, you know, lack of volatility in these markets right now, Jim? Maybe a chance to, you know, I use your term, you've mentioned this before, get some orders working, things like that this week. Well, I think you got to take a serious approach right now. The market's very, very quiet right now. Um, a lot of producers out there, Jesse, they're doing their taxes right now. They are meeting with bankers. They're meeting with their crop insurance, uh, you know, you know, sellers right now. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to put another thing on. I know there's a lot you guys are doing right now, but I'm going to say you need to sit down and look at your break-evens. You need to look at your break-evens of the crop you just produced compared to maybe the bushels you've got unsold. And then look at the 24, 25 cropping in right now, crop coming in. And you've got to be serious and be honest with yourself right now. I mean, unfortunately, my viewpoint, Jesse, is we've just got too much grain at the moment. I do think the odds are high. We will get a rally. But I think you got to be a realistic of what's going on right there. I mean, there's a lot of clients we have that we talk to that have sold a lot of grain. And they, you know, but on the other hand, unfortunately, there is a lot of producers out there who did not get the grain sold for various reasons. And they're struggling right now, and they've got to make a decision of their break-evens right now. Your costs are piling up. On-farm storage, 
People say, hey, there's not a cost. No, there's about seven, eight cents a month storage costs on interest on beans. It's around three cents a month on corn. If you've got in a commercial storage, those fees and you know, are really piling up right now. We're gonna encourage you to try to mitigate some of that risk and maybe use an option type of situation. But you know, the reality is the boat has turned in our opinion. We are no longer in a bull market. We are probably easily what I would argue is in a bear market and rallies are gonna be sold aggressively. If the funds get out of this corn position and you know the, the shortage and all these, I do think we're gonna rally, but it's probably, Jesse, not gonna be as big a rally as we normally would anticipate simply because of the wall of grain that's sitting above the market waiting for this rally to be sold. And it's gonna be, so what I'm gonna tell you, like you said, get those orders working because if we do get to rally, unfortunately, the odds are it's probably going to happen quick and it's not going to last. And if you're not thinking about it, by the time you say, hey, should I make that decision? Should I pull that trigger at a certain price? That price may be gone before you can make the decision. So now's the time to think about what you want to achieve and then get the orders working via be the options in the broker and the futures industry, straight out futures or even the cash market. And to your point on that, it, it could happen, could happen quickly. I mean, even sometimes, you know, we think about this. I'm not awake at one in the morning when the overnight session's trading. You know, sometimes we hit some of those targets that we want in overnight trade. So I think it all comes back to, again, having that plan and and having those orders working, locking in some floors, things like that. There's there's a lot of tools in the toolbox out there to use right now, Jim, and taking advantage of everything seems to be the most important right now. You've got it. And, and you, I think you said the best part about it. You, you never know when it's going to do it. The market opens at seven o'clock at night. A lot of people turn off their phones, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. Europe opens in the middle of the night. You never know what that headline's going to be. We've seen the wheat market do some really weird moves on headlines out of Ukraine. And by the time you wake up, you're like, what the heck happened overnight? We're already 10 off the highs. Get the orders working right now, folks. That way you can take advantage of it. Um, because, you know, I, like I said, I do believe the odds are high. We will get a rally, but I also believe, unfortunately, if we're off to a really quick spring planning, I do not think the rally is going to last long. Unfortunately, let's go over to livestock. You mentioned earlier, some different dynamics over in livestock trade. I know kind of choppy to start this week off in cattle and hogs, some tighter ranges here, but overall, it seems like the fundamentals, especially on the cattle side, Remain pretty solid. Remain pretty good, Jim. Talk to me about this livestock trade and some of the things you're watching right now. Right now, I think the fundamentals are very, very good right now. Overall, you've got a very tight supply of cattle. We know that from all the cattle and feed reports and the inventory report. They're not going to uh, expand anytime soon, I believe. Um, you know, the cattle are still recuperating from that brutal stretch of weather we had, so the supplies are tight. And the consumer demand, I think, overall has done a lot better than a lot of people would have thought. I know I was out over this weekend. I took my wife out for early Valentine's Day dinner to a stakeout up here outside of Chicago. And I'll tell you, we I kind of snuck in there early because I wanted to go see, watch the Purdue uh, IU basketball game. And uh, we couldn't even get a seat. We had to sit at the bar. They literally were sold out. They said, walking in at a little after five, they said, first available tables. 8.30 at night. That shows you the demand is still very, very strong. So we got a strong consumer out there. Credit card debt is up there, but consumer wealth has increased more than their debt per se in percentages. So that's keeping the demand overall strong. I do think we could see a correction though. The stock market looks like it's ready for a correction. That may lend us down a little bit. If you're a producer out there, you might consider laying off some risk just because we saw what happened last time we we're at these prices. It did go down. 
But overall, you want my opinion, Jesse, I got to be somewhat friendly to livestock going into spring. Tight supplies, strong demand. That usually is a pretty strong recipe for a bullish market. Yeah, it is. I know export numbers, too, have been pick, ticking up there on the beef and the pork side. And you think about just domestic demand and international demand. It feels like that's going to be very supportive here to both uh, cattle and hogs here in the springtime as we as we move forward. So I would agree with you, Jim. It feels like there's there's a lot of factors uh, that are good going for the protein sector right now. You you named it. Like I said, why are you buying the puts? Because it's insurance. But the overall yeah. trends up. Hogs overall, they're chopping around. Their their supplies tightening a little bit. Um, I think overall they're going to be the follower to the cattle. With the cattle continue to grind higher, hopefully that's a little bit supportive to the pork. I mean, right now, I keep telling people, I mean, I think your biggest problem with the pork industry right now is we got to figure out a way to get people to eat more pork. I mean, right now, yeah. uh, you know, obviously you go to any hamburger joint, you can get beef. You can go to any hamburger joint, you can get chicken. You can't get pork. I mean, I think that's a, my personal opinion. That's the pork industry's next goal is they got to try to find a way to get some that pork out a little bit more easy to the to the public. Plain and simple, I think that would do wonders for the pork industry as a whole. I would agree with that. Good export numbers on the pork side for 2023, but always looking for that domestic demand too, Jim. I, I would agree with you on that. I, I mean, I like my bacon. I don't know about you, but uh, wouldn't mind some bacon on that burger every now and then. That is for sure. That is for sure. Uh, Jim, let's wrap it up here today. Final thoughts from you. Great discussion as always. What do you want to reiterate to folks? What do you want to really drive home here today that that folks need to think about right now in these markets? Right now, I'm going to reiterate, Jesse. I know it's a very stressful time for the producers out there. Um, we, We deal with a broad range of clients here at agmarket.net. I know it's a tough situation. The balance sheets are really, really tough. And in some cases they are upside down. It is not a fun position to be in at this point in time, but knowledge is key. You need to talk to brokers. You need to talk to your banker and come up with a game plan. There is going to be opportunities to make money in this industry. There is going to be opportunities to mitigate risk. The key is to use the knowledge you can get a hold of from professionals out there and develop a game plan. The Ag Market team is here to help you. You can give us a call at 844-424-6758. Go to our website. We've got a great app that helps you market grain. But more importantly, like I said, sit down, like Jesse suggested, make a decision on what you do and get those orders working because uh, it's hard to believe, but spring, spring planting is going to come very, very fast. That it will. That it will. Appreciate the time and the knowledge as always. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk this week, Jim. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for having me. And once again, good stuff there with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net joining us for market analysis here today on the program. Always good to catch up with Jim. Let's take a look at the closing numbers from Tuesday's session before we get to the break. March corn was up a quarter penny, 430 and three quarters. July corn up a quarter penny at 452 and a half on the day Tuesday. New crop December corn up a half a penny, 469 and three quarters. March soybeans down six and three quarters, 1186 at a quarter. July down six at 1201 and a half. November soybeans down three and a half, 1165 and a quarter. Soybean meal for March, that was down 410 a ton, 344.80. July bean meal down 380 a ton, 342.60. Soybean oil, March up 40 points, 47.30. July up 41 points, 48.05. 
March Chicago wheat unchanged, 597 and a half on Tuesday. July down two and a half, 597 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat for March down four and a quarter, 594 and a half. July down three and a quarter, 585 and three quarters. Spring wheat March 10 and three quarters lower, 671 and three quarters. July down six and three quarters at 678. March oats up three and a half, 381 and three quarters. July up one, 371 and a quarter. Canola up three to four on the day on Tuesday as well. Over in the cotton market, March cotton was up 99 points, 91.52. May cotton up 76 points, 92.06. Livestock trade, February live cattle down 50, 183.75. April down 82, 185.10. June live cattle down 97, 182.55. March feeder cattle down 82 at 248. April down 142, 251.75. May feeders down 140 at 255.45. Hogs, February 65, higher 74.22. April hogs down 5.8107. May hogs down 2 at 85.97 on the day, Tuesday. That's a recap of the closing markets. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines in agriculture, including the latest uh, USDA Census of Agriculture data for 2022. We're going to get some notes on that. Take a look at other uh, news headlines here throughout the ag space uh, as we wrap up our program today we'll be back with more here on market talk on the way right after the break if you miss an episode of market talk you can listen back to the show anytime just search for market talk on your podcast platform of choice and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here on the program today. Great discussion with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. I I always enjoy what Jim has to say and uh, really uh, putting things in perspective. I know there's a lot of angst among uh, many farmers uh, out there across the countryside who haven't sold enough grain potentially. And there's just, I, I know there's a lot of worry out there with input costs and watching crop insurance prices coming up here and more so i appreciate jim's perspective on things and uh really good thoughts there make sure you got those orders working as jim says and and make sure that you uh, have that plan working as well let's take a look at news headlines the usda has the national agricultural statistics service has announced the results of the 2022 census of agriculture spanning more than six million data points about america's farms and ranches and the people who operate them down to the county level. The information collected directly from producers shows a continued decline in the total number of U.S. farms. However, the data also shows a rise in the number of new and beginning uh, operating 10 or fewer years on any farm, as well as young under the age of 35 producers. A full census of agriculture report, as well as publication dates for additional ag census data products can be found at nas.usda.gov forward slash ag census. Some of the uh, insights from the Ag Census, there were 1.9 million farms and ranches with an average size of 463 acres on 880 million acres of farmland. That is 39% of all U.S. land. Now, that number of farms and ranches down 7% from 2017. 
The average size was up 5%, and the acreage was down 2%. Family-owned and operated farms accounted for 95% of all U.S. farms and operated 84% of land and farms. U.S. farms and ranches produced $543 billion in agricultural products, up from $389 billion in 2017. With farm production expenses of $424 billion, U.S. farms had net cash income of $152 billion. Average farm income rose to $79,790. A total of 43% of farms had positive net cash farm income in 2022. Again, that's just some of the overall highlights from the release of the 2022 Census of Agriculture data from the USDA out on Tuesday. Well, with the U.S. beef herd at record low levels, producers may finally be thinking of starting a rebuild. Dr. Dan Tracy of Beef Technical Services with Zoetis says it's a big decision. There's a lot of things we need to take in consideration. I'm glad to see that rebuilding of the herd because that's a good thing because we're in a state where we probably need to be. The considerations we need to make is there's a lot dependent on these heifers because they make up the history of the herd moving forward. They set the pace of the herd moving forward. So we want to select heifers more towards the beginning in that, uh, that calving season because we know they stay in the herd longer. We know their offspring outperform reproductively and on the steering production-wise too, so we made that commitment to do so. He says the rebuilding begins with selecting the right heifers. But we know there's also a value money that we have to spend on these heifers until we get them into the pre-breeding phase as far as feed, vaccines, veterinary care as far as doing some reproductive scores or pelvic measures. And we know there's a cost on a per calf to pay that back. We also taking advantage of new technology as far as genomics to actually identify those replacements earlier, depending on where we want to meet our genetic expectation of the herd moving forward. So we can make decisions about that heifer earlier, whether we market her as more of the beef industry or we continue forward by bringing her to a part of the being a replacement. That's Dr. Dan Tracy from Zoetis. Well, for the first time since 2020, the number of Americans with a will has declined, with only 32% of Americans having an estate plan in 2024, a 6% decline from last year. Having an estate plan for farmers and ranchers is especially important as it protects the future of the operation. AARP Oklahoma State Director Sean Voskul says there are three things to consider. First, develop and maintain a succession plan for ownership and management of the farm. Next, consider planning for retirement plan accounts and life insurance needs of the farm as a closely held business. You should also consider premarital agreements and protection of interests in the farm. As a bonus, consider digital assets such as passwords and accounts that are critical to the farm operation. The main reasons people put off an estate plan is they either haven't got to it yet or they think they don't have enough assets to leave to anyone. Neither is a great reason. Technology today means you can create a will online in less than an hour, and assets are only part of the story. A healthcare directive and a durable power of attorney are also important for your state plan. The right paperwork can save your loved ones headaches and heartache and give you peace of mind. Voskul adds there are a few changes in the tax code on the horizon to keep in mind as well. The first is the implementation of the Corporate Transparency Act, which will impose significant new reporting requirements on many small businesses. Second is the sunsetting of the increased estate and gift tax exemption amounts at the end of 2025. Unless Congress acts before January 1, 2026, the estate and gift tax exemptions will revert to where they were in 2017. With inflation adjustments, this will be approximately $7 million for individuals and $14 million for married couples. Learn more Thursday night at 9 p.m. Central Time on RFD-TV or online at aarp.org forward slash aarp live.
Well, a Dairy Checkoff Partnership is putting hot chocolate milk into the hands of students during a pilot with a leading school food service company. National Dairy Council and Chartwell's K-12, which serves more than 2 million meals daily at 700 U.S. school districts, have launched a hot chocolate milk program in 58 schools. Lisa Hatch, Vice President of Business Development for National Dairy Council, says the pilot, which will run through the end of the school year, features real chocolate milk served hot during breakfast and lunch. There's this interesting shift happening with young people right now, and especially when it comes to their attitude about healthy eating. So as it turns out, chocolate milk or hot chocolate really hits the spot. It's not just a treat that kids really love, but it also meets the healthy beverage guidelines set by schools. National Dairy Council began working with Chartwell's K-12 last year on a dairy-based smoothie program, which is available to all Chartwell schools following a successful pilot. We have a really proven track record with Chartwells. In 2023-24, we partnered with them and launched a smoothie program in about 130 of their schools, which was really well received and drove significant dairy and meal participation across the board. The smoothie program's success led to a what's the next big thing discussion between the partners. They focused on hot chocolate, which had a global market size valued at $3.8 billion in 2022 and is expected to grow to $5.77 billion by 2030. So what we're seeing so far is really positive. Kids are very excited. Again, this is anecdotal at this point, but what we're hearing is it's so successful in some situations that it's a little bit too good because every kid wants to take it and really they're drinking it down to the last drop, which is great to see. For more information about the Dairy Checkoff, visit usdairy.com forward slash four dash farmers. Again, usdairy.com forward slash for dash farmers. And with that, we are out of time here on Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. Coming up on tomorrow's program, we'll talk with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day.